0: You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com/slash host. The phone is up. That's the second time it's
2: gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home. Those guys. That's. Yeah, <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Yeah, you can laugh. I'm to World Cup.
1: I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like
2: me. You well, don't know what you're talking about. What did you want? Know, I like to stay alive for six days. I've got an idea. I'd say it to you, but i not saying it to well, now. You I'm, I'm down Anfield and we'll see them, won't What, we- what you doing down here, yes, you show oh, me, man?
0: <laughs> oh, and Murphy and Can here for Monday's Irish Times Second Captains Football Podcast. Hi guys.
2: Hello Hello there, Owen.
0: I'm good, I'm good. If you're going to pick a venue at which to end one of the most illustrious managerial careers in the last 20 years of European football, though, you probably would not choose the new Meadow Stadium in Shrewsbury. Mm. Uh, But lose tonight in the FA Cup fifth round, and Louis van Gaal may have managed his last game for Man United, and presumably the last of his professional life ever since he took over. Old Trafford, he's been saying that he's promised his wife that they'll get to spend some time together in retirement, so we're assuming that he won't go anywhere. Well, I'm, I'm making an assumption here that this would be the last game of his professional life if Manchester United lose and the Jose Mourinho stories that have emerged, that have continued to leak through over the weekend, uh, have a bit of substance to them.
1: Well, first of all, they are got to lose. Uh, I don't think they will. <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking about Jose I really don't think they'll lose. Uh, was so it's always possible. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe he would take an international job, but uh, is is it, is it? Does it seem to be? You know, are people s- suggesting this? This is it. This is it, Shrewsbury. It all comes down to this moment.
0: No, it's just that the. St- flood of Mourinho stories has not abated and mm. there were so many of them over the weekend there's such detail in them and there's always a new kink i mean the ones on around friday friday saturday were, were, were that mendes had been george mendes had been contacted mm. by manchester united as soon as they lost to the europa league so i'm assuming that were they to lose again tonight or even draw or just have a terrible performance and, that might be it. I mean, it mm. might just it might just end before the end of the season.
3: There have been a few final stro- Certainly, Certainly, there have been a few games where, watching it, I'm thinking there can't be any way out now. That there I, there have been a number of those points in this season already. So mm. I'm not entirely. I think maybe just the, the sheer embarrassment factor of of Shrewsbury Town. I mean, just to continue just to continue saying the name of the club. Yeah, Shrewsbury Town. But who
1: cares? It's not a real game. I mean, this is the, this is the point. Like. Nobody cares about this competition anymore. Mm. Apparently, mm-hmm. it's not. Uh, you know, Manchester City can afford to go and just, uh, and they're playing against Chelsea. Um, you know, losing to Chelsea is supposed to sting. Uh, and what they do? They just play a, a bunch of teenagers and lose five one. And apparently, this is fine. Man, Pellegrini Green just says after as well. Yeah, I mean, we have. Says we had, beforehand, we've we've maybe. got a game. We've we've got a game on on uh, on Wednesday. We can't afford to...
0: We've got an actual football match on Wednesday,
1: yeah. guys. We can't yeah. afford to play this exhibition <laughs> game.
0: Professional game, so we've got to think about that. Well, it does matter still, Ken, to some people, FA Cup weekend, because I know what our listeners want, Ken. Every goal that went in, it was logged in their mind, and they just thought, how is Ken Early going to describe this particular goal on Monday? Except for you haters out there. There are a few. It is, this is the podcast slot that has divided our listenership base uh, among fairly uh, entrenched lines, after all. But I now present to you... The fifth round edition of Kennedy's FA Cup Ghouls Report.
1: The magpies renowned as the most intelligent of birds, and 11 magpies would probably have made a better job of this FA Cup tie than humans selected by Steve McLaren. Look at that! Oh, look at that! Oh, oh, what a goal! Oh, that's a magnificent go! Interesting. Ghouls. Very interesting! Oh, Ken's Ghouls.
4: I was it wasn't bad, was it?
1: <laughs> Can't do it, though. He's ripped the heart out of the cup. What? I don't. I, don't, I can't do it. Pellegrini. I can't do. I can't. I can't summon the energy or the interest to do this anymore. Not this week. Not after what Manuel Pellegrini did to that that grand old trophy. And I'm not. I'm not doing it. I, I'm. I'm not. You know. This is my protest against what happened this weekend.
0: Well, Simon but the, had, but Simon the music. had told, yeah, the music, the bed. Simon had told me to pull you up after two, uh, two goals reports. <laughs> well, I'm not doing it. We're not even doing one or two.
1: <laughs> no. Well, well, Man City are gone now, so maybe, maybe after the sad. quarterfinals, we might have it, We might revisit this. But at the moment, well, I just know,
3: when when it, when all of the teams involved in your ghouls roundup actually want to be there. Yeah. Can maybe we can resurrect this this lot. I, I think that's you you've offered. That's actually a fitting tribute.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's like you know, um, Beethoven supposedly would would uh, in in the middle of a performance just get up and and walk away from the piano if he heard somebody in the in the audience you know whispering. Mm. He's like, well, you know, this is this if you is don't want to be here, then yeah.
3: what what the hell am I doing? What am I doing
1: here? here? Why am I wasting my time here? You know, and likewise if Manuel Pellegrini is going to do this uh, to the FA Cup, and not just him, but others to, to slightly lesser degrees, then, I'm sorry, I'm taking my talents elsewhere.
0: Half of our listeners have already skipped on 10 minutes mm. and are now furiously working their way back. They're all over the place with this podcast. I don't know. What, yeah, what the They've already finished?
3: For, for the next 10 minutes, you should just say, no, further back. Yeah, Further, you keep going. Another, yeah. oh,
0: what's going on here? Mm-hmm. You are going to give us a report on sport, though, right?
1: Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll do that for right, you. Well. At, least we
0: have a, at least we do have a football podcast.
1: Okay, so uh, I suppose we should mention, uh, I mean, said the FA Cup was was too thrilling, really, regardless of Pellegrini. I mean, at least Pellegrini has something to talk about. Uh, there was uh, a great performance by Dimitri Payet. What a pity he couldn't have done it in a football competition. <laughs> uh, but he, he did score two great goals for West Ham against Blackburn. And generally... Uh, it was one of the best performances of the season, probably. I mean, okay, it's against Blackburn. He scored a brilliant, two brilliant goals. Uh, he reminds me a little bit of Tevez, actually. Uh, like a really peak Tevez. Uh, I don't know if it's just because of his little bullet head, but there's something quite similar in the in his style, uh, even though he's more of a midfielder, really, than, than Tevez. Uh, I have to get poetry lessons to describe his importance to us, the seven village. I haven't seen anyone better than that. Uh, he's also doing the dirty work, and on the ball, he's up there with Luka Modric from the players I've trained so far. I don't know if he's already fattening Pied up for sale, <laughs> but uh, certainly...
0: Do you think he's up there with Modric?
1: No. Um, uh, but, I mean, in terms of... I mean, when... When... Uh, when Bilic says on the ball, I mean, in terms of his kind of skill at like manipulating the ball, yeah, he probably is, but in terms of the overall kind of...
0: Control that Modric would have? Yeah, you know, the kind of the most strategic, strategic player, sort yeah.
1: of influence that Modric would have in a game. I don't know if Piot is in that uh, category. On the other hand, he does score a lot more goals than Modric, which is also quite useful.
0: Uh, well, not this week, as we know, Google's report, but yeah. another week's in peace.
1: So, uh, Lou Van Al, uh, as you mentioned, Owen, I mentioned, it, will bring the proceedings to a close in the FA Cup uh, tonight against Rosebury uh, we have to make them fear again, says Van Hal. Uh I mean, everybody was... I mean, Who, Shrewsbury? Just the rest <laughs> Once of... Once
3: again, Shrewsbury must kneel before us.
1: <laughs> the rest of football. Uh, oh, right. okay. Sorry. It's a question of winning matches in a row. You cannot continue with losing, and the question is how we are lifting ourselves for this game, because Shrewsbury shall also fight like Magellan for the second balls and play direct and that kind of thing, and you have to cope with that. Of course, since we spoke last, they lost to Magellan. Uh, the Danish team who hadn't played, you know, over their winter break for, you know, a couple of months. So that was a, that was also another embarrassing result really for Manchester United. I think a more significant one than the than whatever could happen against uh, Shrewsbury because the Europa League, as Van Hal says, is an important competition for them now. Uh you know, Van Hal said he thought it was his, their best chance of getting back into the Champions League. I'm not sure if I agree with that. Uh they are still obviously in that tie two one is a disaster, but the way they played it is not not really looking too good. Yeah, I do
0: still think that this would at least be on a par. If I, I'll, I'll stop, I'll stop raising the spectre of them losing to shows weekend. You're right; they'll win comfortably and limp along for another few weeks.
1: Yeah, it's West Ham and Dimitri Payet in the next round, oh. anyway. So uh, there's that to look forward to. Um, Arsene Wenger has a big, a big match to look forward to tomorrow night. This is uh, Arsenal against Barcelona, and Barcelona have beaten Arsenal. Uh, consistently in the Champions League. Arsenal have managed to beat them at the Emirates, but they've never come through a tie. Um, Wenger saying, looking recently in these big games, in the first tie at home, we can't be stupid. Many times we've won away, and at home we've conceded. We have to find a good balance between defending and attacking. We have to find a way to stop their players collectively. talked a bit about Luis Suarez. Um, Sid Lowe is a good piece on Suarez, uh, talking about his um, kind of infectious style. Uh, says that he runs like a man who doesn't think he's any good at all. Um, Wenger says Suarez gives that to a team. He did it at Liverpool. He did it playing for Uruguay with Cavani and Forlan. He's the kind of guy who manages to create that spirit in teams and then talks a bit about the kind of collective spirit Barcelona have. Uh, When you see someone like Messi who could score a 300 goal, give the ball to Suarez when he had the opportunity to score, that means there's really something in there. Of course, it was a total accident. Uh, It was meant to be for Neymar. Suarez just... Got there first because that's kind of what he does. Uh, didn't realize what he was doing at the time. Um, so, yeah, that's it. I mean, it's going to be a great game, I think. I mean, Arsenal are going reasonably well. I don't think anybody gives them much of a chance of coming through the tie. So, if they can, it will be uh, pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, okay. So, over the weekend, the, you know, I mean, it's generally a fairly dull weekend of football. I mean, there was, uh, you know, the Spanish league is almost over now. If you saw uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, uh, scored an offside goal for Real Madrid, then missed the penalty against Malaga. So Juan Laporta, the uh, former Barcelona president, puts up a um, picture online saying, I know why I missed the penalty, but I'm not going to say. Um, so they're trying to dance on Cristiano's grave. I didn't realise Laporte,
0: yeah, there was a lot of stuff like that along the lines of, he should have passed it, ha ha ha. Mm. I didn't realise Laporte had got in on the gag. Yeah,
1: yeah, everybody was getting in on that, um, but mainly the weekend is distinguished by, distinguished for things happening with referees, uh, Galatasaray played Trabzon Spore, four Trabzon Spore players sent off, the fourth sending off uh, was Sally Durson, basically the on Spore players are beginning to get a little angry at this stage, it's eight men, uh, and they're kind of barking, surrounding the referee, chasing around after him, uh, in the course of which he drops his red card, so Sally Durson runs up, grabs the red card, and sends the referee off oh, okay. dramatically. Gaza style. Well, Ra- Gaza was only booking the ref. Uh, but in this case, Sally son sent him off. He raised the red card and then pointed to where the referee <laughs> needed to go. The referee took the red card off him and immediately sent him off. So that was the end of his involvement, and they were down to seven players. Um, but maybe the, the the weirdest incident was actually in Germany. It was uh, Bart Leverkusen against Borussia Dortmund. And there was a kind of a weird incident in this um, basically you know, there's a foul uh, on a Dortmund player and Dortmund then take a quick free kick uh, you know it's one of those where the where the player kind of looks at the ref and the ref says yeah go for it and while the Leverkusen players are oh there wasn't a foul uh, Dortmund quickly take the free kick and actually run up the end and score so Dortmund's or Leverkusen's boss uh, Roger Smith, goes absolutely crazy, he says this is, this is nonsense uh, so the ref runs over and sends him off. But he doesn't go. So he keeps screaming and, and you know, ranting and raving on the touchline. So the ref is like, you know, why isn't he hasn't obeyed my sending off. So the referee then gets the Leverkusen Captain Stefan Kiesling to go over and tell his manager <laughs> that he has to go. <laughs> Please go and tell your manager that I've that he must obey the red card. Uh, whereupon Keesing does that but Schmidt just ignores him and continues to to prance about on the sideline whereupon the referee says okay then uh, if you won't leave the field I will and uh, to the amusement of everyone in the stadium uh, jogs away you know with this kind of uh, angry, this severe expression and disappears down the down the tunnel while everybody stands out in the field going I'm sorry what's actually going on here now what is going on and eventually he was you know Roger Schmidt Realised, okay, I've got to, I've got to do the right thing here, and and, and walked off. At which point, the referee came out back out and restarted the game. But um, look, the fact that we're talking about this kind of cell phone means that uh, there's not a lot going on in the world.
0: No, that's fine. Uh, it did remind me of Charlie Redmond for Dublin in 1995, who just oh, it ign- yeah. just plainly ignored the fact that he'd been sent off.
3: Yeah, sorry, it's just it's an All Ireland final. It's pretty important that I stay on the field. So if it's all right with you, <laughs> I might just kind of hang around for a few minutes and then. You know, I mean, if, what, if I'm needed, yeah. You know.
0: what, what Charlie probably needed to do at that point was maintain a low profile. But unfortunately, he was the team's free taker and was yeah. very good at that. So he probably felt, okay, on the one hand, I should lay low here, mm. but On the other hand, I'm not some cornerback who can who can hang back a little bit. I am about. I do have to take these frees. It's the whole mm. point of me being out there.
3: Yeah, yeah. I mean, if, if even a fake mustache, <laughs> you know, I mean, he would not have looked out of place on that Dublin team yeah. with a little little Ronnie. But uh, that's not what he not what he went for.
1: One more, again? one or two? Um, yeah, just um, what is it, this stuff happening in Italian football? Well, Silvio Berlusconi's comment about Balotelli. My dream is having an all Italian land, We've got many young Italians here at the moment. That includes Balotelli, who has taken too much sun but is still Italian. So that's uh, one of the, the latest in the long line of yeah. such comments from Silvio Berlusconi. Still, still out there, still going. We're old now, he said to Adriano Galliani. Everyone said, Yeah, you are. Yeah, maybe it's about time you uh, stopped turning up to these events. Um, yeah, I mean, that's a, there's a big fight going on between uh, the manager of Roma, Luciano Spalletti, and Francesco Totti, who is nearly 40 now, but still wants to play all the time. Uh, not playing. Uh, didn't TV interview where he complained about the lack of respect?
0: I honestly got a shock when I saw him coming on the other night. I was like, is that is... <laughs> that is Toddy right he's still knocking around he looked there.
3: good on the bench and they thought yeah he looks good as a manager on the bench and then you know when he was being stripped off and, and ready to come on it was yeah it did seem a little incongruous
1: I can't you see he was injured recently so he's still being left out uh, though he says I'm fine he says uh, I can't stay at Roma like this it hurts to be on the bench I understand at my age that I play this but ending my career like this is bad for me as a man and what I've given to Roma I demand more respect for what I've done what is my rapport like with Spalletti we say, good morning and good evening. That's it. Uh, Spalletti has had to explain, because obviously, I mean, he's nearly 40. Like, come on, you know, it's, it's finished. The dream is over. <laughs> you know, it's done. Um, Spalletti says, um, it is right that Toddy does what he wants to do. I put every role at his disposal. I asked him, do you want to be gigs? You can be gigs. Do you want to be Nedved? You can be Nedved. Um, but if you want to be a player then you have to be on a par with the others in the team and I can't allow you any special treatment. Um, so, yeah. Um, you know they
0: say he lost his pace again, but he replied.
1: Never had any pace. <laughs> um, so that's it. All uh, right. The other thing is the FIFA election is on the same day as the Irish election, actually. Um, Which one are you looking forward to more? Which one's floating your boat? Probably the Irish election. On the on balance, it's more interesting than the FIFA election.
0: Why, is it the foregone conclusion FIFA election?
1: Um, well, it's not a foregone conclusion by any means. I mean, the favourite is Sheikh Salman al-Khalifa of Bahrain, a man uh, who, if you spend any time trying to find out about, doesn't strike you as necessarily exactly the kind of white knight FIFA would ideally want uh, to come riding down from the mountain in this there are of need. Um, a few questions there to be asked. Gianni Infantino, the UEFA candidate, is the... Next uh, favorite, and then everyone else seems to be a bit of an outsider. Prince Ali, for instance, is the third favorite, and you can get him at like 8 to 1. So it suggests that uh, it'll probably be between Sheikh Salman and Johnny Anvin. That's going
0: wrap the report on sport. Owen oh, McDevitt!
4: All up in the interweb.
2: Owen oh, McDevitt?
3: Worldwide.
1: The Murph and Mackey for most welcome Irishman of the year Goes to Owen McDevitt Owen Owen, 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 Owen McDevitt From Ireland's second captain show All up
3: in the interweb Owen McDevitt worldwide. Second captains those guys, are like, those guys are like family to me, man Owen oh, McDevitt This is Locke The coolest song i ever heard in my whole life Owen McDevitt All of you said I wouldn't make Stop it Stop talking about Tom Finney He said I was a loser
4: This guy is a bit of a turkey Alright
3: <laughs> They said I was a... In soccer but look at me now all up in the interweb Owen McDevitt World War
1: The new World Federal of
3: the
2: Championship Owen oh, McDevitt
0: Owen McDevitt to say for example the Barcelona team you worked at is it fair to say anybody could have managed those guys no of course not well, the FA Cup has taken quite a few hits over the years, and I guess Manuel Pellegrini's comments and the whole team selection, performance, everything around the Man City Chelsea game yesterday, would uh, would be considered another one. If they chose not to pay the fans, this is. If they chose not to pay for the ticket because it's not a real game any longer, I understand that. Said Pellegrini in advance of this, when Jonathan Wilson is ready to talk, Jonathan, of the many blows inflicted on the cup in the last say twenty years or so, how high does this rank?
2: Oh, pretty high, I think. I mean. Uh I he he's somebody I want to I instinctively want to have sympathy for, but in this case I, I really struggle. Um I, and I I I think there's a a couple of things that have to be taken into account here. And one is it's not like City have had a really busy programme leading up to that. Yeah, you know, in the in the previous two weeks, they'd played one game. I mean, you know, they, they played the previous Sunday, they played the Saturday before that. So it's not like the players with huge numbers of miles on their legs recently. Um his complaint is is obviously about going to uh, kiev for the game on wednesday but i don't really see how how is that different to arsenal or barcelona who both played on saturday playing on on tuesday night now if your argument is oh it's a longer trip it's 3 hours 3 and a quarter hours to get to kiev it's not it's not a long way i mean it's okay it's an hour more than barcelona to london but yeah you know, it, it's not that he's going to kazakhstan or somewhere um, you know he complains about the injuries yeah they've got Eight players out, who I guess would be knocking on the door of the first team. But of those, only Kevin De Bruyne is actually probably in his strongest eleven at the moment. So I, I think it's a hugely worrying development, and I think it's also, I think it's just a bad idea. It's a bad idea for City. Never mind the FA Cup. Never mind sort of football in general. It's it, it's bad for City because they've now lost three games in a row. And I think there's there's two precedents to to, to look at here. One is. Um, Arsenal back in 2008 Uh, I don't don't know if you remember this but They They were threw threw
1: the game at Old Trafford They lost 4-0 to Man United And then they proceeded to completely melt down in the league
2: Exactly It was exactly the same stage of the season There was 12 league games to go They were 5 points clear at the top of the table It was the 5th round of the cup They chucked the game at Old Trafford Lost it 4-0 And they won one of the next 8 league games And went out of the Champions League Liverpool In in the quarter-final And they ended up finishing 3rd and won nothing and they, they essentially lost all momentum by by doing that. Now I'm not saying it was the only reason, but it, it didn't help. And I think actually that summer you then sort of got that reinforced. That um you, you get a similar thing often happens in, in major tournaments. It's obviously much more compressed. But um the year two thousand and eight, because they, they did the silly thing with head to head being being the determining factor of two teams' level on points rather than goal difference, in each of the four groups of the year two thousand and eight, um one of the teams knew they were going through. All four of them rested players, and of those four, none of them won their quarter-final. Spain went through because they, they beat Italy on penalties, but the other three all lost in the quarter-finals, partly because they'd lost momentum. Now, the positive comparison is if you look at Chelsea in 2012, who had an FA Cup semi-final against Spurs, which did won 5-1, and three days later, they beat Barcelona 1-0 in the semi-final of the Champions League. So, I, I, th- I think, I mean, yeah, you can rest two or three days. I can see that Maybe that's some company coming back from injury, you don't want to risk him when his calf's perhaps still dodgy. Maybe Aguero, you really want to wrap in cotton wool. But I, I, to, to play five debutants and six teenagers seems... I mean, I, it's, almost, it's almost trying to make the game not count. It's almost as if he thinks they're going to lose anyway, let's get our excuses in by picking a, you know, a joke side.
0: Is he not just calling a spade a spade here, though, Jonathan? Everyone else, everyone knows the FA Cup doesn't matter anymore. and It's just the manager, for once, explicitly saying so.
2: That's not what Gus Hitting said. It's not what Arsene Wenger said. Um, I mean, OK, you can argue that both of those have particular reasons to want to pretend the FA Cup counts. But, I mean, you know, one of the one of the oddities or one of the quirks of, of um, this ongoing discussion that we seem to have every season of how do you make the FA Cup relevant, and I kind of think the more gimmicks you end up adding on to it, the less relevant it becomes because it looks something gimmicky. It has to mean something in and of itself. And I think to, you know, to certain teams at a certain point of the season, it suddenly does matter. And I think you see that in the fact that of the last 25 I think Cup winners, 21 have been a team you would have thought would finish in the top four of the Premier League at the beginning of that season. So once they get to sort of the fifth round quarterfinal, perhaps once uh, they've accepted that the league is beyond them or the Champions League is beyond them, it does become very relevant. Um, so, I mean, yeah, m- maybe he is just sort of uh, stating what, what is obvious to everybody. But the, the way you avert that is... By not accepting that, by not acknowledging it, by pretending it matters, and if everybody pretends hard enough, well, it will start to matter because people will care about it. And you sort of—I mean, it, do you remember when Brian Robson picked that um, very understrength West Brom team to play, play Chelsea. Chelsea? Yeah, and I think they were fined for that, weren't they? I mean, I, I think Mick McCarthy at Wolves had a similar thing, hmm. um, but it certainly was a threat of a fine.
0: Yeah, poor old, poor old Mick was absolutely pilloried, and he was looking around saying, "Hang on, everyone else is doing this."
2: And you know, you look in the regulations of so both the Premier League and the FA Cup, and it stipulates that a team—it's incumbent upon a team to play its best possible team. Now, obviously, there's an element of subjectivity to that, and obviously, in practice, you accept that maybe three or four players might be rested or rotated. I, I think I think what Pellegrini did went beyond that. I mean, I think it made the game a farce. Yeah, I de- uh, and I think that's as I say, I think that's damaging to the ethical. It's also damaging to the City. I think
1: what he was doing was was as you touched upon, chickening out of having to play a competitive, uh, a tough match against Chelsea. He didn't want to stake anything on it. Uh, he 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 didn't want this match against Chelsea to exist. Uh, so he he wanted to sort of say, well, you know, it's not a real game, so it doesn't matter that we've. Lost, you know. You can't blame me for losing if we didn't even try, uh, which is a real kind of a loser attitude. It's not. M- maybe it's not just the manager though. Uh, Alan Shearer actually made. I thought a, a, a decent point. I wonder what he made of it. Uh, made of it in, in terms of he said, "Look, I look at Lionel Messi never wants to be rested, never wants to miss a game. Luis Suarez never wants to miss a game. What is wrong with these Manchester City players? I mean, what you know? Why is it that?" uh uh, these guys who are the best in the world seem to have this insatiable appetite for games and apparently Man City players are happy to sit out a match away against Chelsea who, who you know who are one of the rival teams in England. This should be the kind of event that they're looking forward to to contesting.
2: Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. And I, I think if you look back to you know the, the, the glorious past of the FA Cup, which I have to say I'm slightly skeptical about the glorious past of the FA Cup, but if you look back to you know the the 30, 40 years you see, players were desperate to play. I mean, um, I mean, how many seasons did Leeds destroy in the late sixties and seventies by having to play, you know, four games in a week towards the end of the season? They end up kind of winning one and drawing two and losing the other one, and that means they finish second and everything. And yeah, Don Reevy really could have uh, rested players. In fact, I think there was a game when they played Derby. But Clough did his nut about when when Leeds rested four or five players, and that was you know, a massive scandal. And the players at the time said, "Well, yeah, we didn't actually want to be rested. We we would rather have played." And you sort of accept that. You know you, you you carry the exhaustion. I actually think it's quite a positive thing for for football generally. It's a sort of way of evening things out. That when you have uh, stockpiling of players, when you have loads, you know, the talent sort of coalesced at the biggest clubs. One of the ways you stop those clubs winning everything is by making them exhausted. I mean, that yeah, I, I guess it's a slightly negative way of looking at it, but there is sort of an inbuilt balance there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I I mean, okay, company, the car, I can understand wrestling that. But if I was Raheem Sterling if, or if I was um, Fernandinho, so you're somebody who is probably in the first team, but you can't quite guarantee it, I'd be really sort of anxious about not getting picked in a game like that.
1: Yeah. I mean, it makes you wonder, I mean, you think back to when Manchester United won the treble and that was a real kind of, uh, you know, there was a sort of a grand national feel about what they were doing there. They seemed to have games all the time. Of course, they even had replay against Arsenal, I remember, in that. Uh, And they developed a sort of momentum and were able to power through it. Uh, And obviously, with you know, if managers take the attitude of Pellegrini, that will never happen again. It is... I mean, I, I was, I was wondering then if that means, you know, United's achievement in '99 in is is likely to, you know, I mean, which English club is going to be able to do that again? I mean, obviously the conditions have changed. The managers think it has. It is notable though that when you look at, um, in when you look at Spain, Barcelona have done it twice in the last seven seasons, I think. Uh, Bayern Munich have also won that uh, treble. Inter have won that treble. You know, uh, so it's been done four times in what the last seven. Uh, the last seven seasons in Europe. Um is that a reflection of the fact that the Premier League is, is physically harder than these other teams, or is it just a reflection of the fact that Premier League managers have a loser attitude which isn't reflected by, you know, guys like Luis Enrique and Yup and so on?
2: I mean, I think primarily the former, but but with a little bit of the latter. Um, I mean you know it, it's not it's not major news that, that Barcelona are a lot better than FBS in La Liga in a way that no English side is or has been since Manchester United at their peak, you know, fifteen years ago. I may maybe Chelsea in the first ball the Mourinho, but you know it's it's a long time since one one team in the Premier League has been so obviously dominant. That um, I mean, you know, it, at the moment, nobody in that title race, and by that I still probably include City, can really afford to rest players in a league game. Whereas I think Barcelona, I mean, okay, they they they, they tend not to rest for front three, but yeah, you know, they they can. Do a you know, little bit of tinkering. Actually, I think something Pochettino's done really well this season is the the, um, the very sort of subtle tinkering of leaving out one or two players, and he's particularly done that with his with his fullbacks. Which I think the way he plays is a very physically demanding. Yeah, you know, I think that's the most physically demanding position on the pitch for Pochettino. So the the fact that I think you look at the four backs and I think. All of them have played at least eighteen games. None has played more than nineteen. So that's obviously a plan. You know, he's he's doing that deliberately. So I, I, I'm not averse to rotation um, per se. I just think there's ways of doing it, and you rest two or three players. And I think, I mean, the point you make about United in '99, I think is a valid one. But I think there's also something to be said about United squad back then. That um, you sort of think of the of the um, the archetypal United team then. But actually, they had the four centre forwards that they, they regularly rotated. It wasn't always York and Cole. They had Shelgan to bring in. They had Salci to bring in. Salci could play on the left side of midfield if you wanted. They had um, Blumquist, who you sort of you know, easy to forget about. Nicky Butt played a huge number, number of games that season. But you think of the centre of midfield then being being Keenan Scholes. and Skulls. So you know, they they rotated, but they just didn't didn't do it wholesale. I think that's really the issue. That you sacrifice a game by by chucking in five debutants is is a hugely different thing to giving a couple of key players a a day off every now and again.
0: All right, Jonathan, brilliant. Thanks a million. Cheers, thanks. Sure yourself, and Jonathan, not being a bit harsh on Manuel Pellegrini. He's just recognising what the FA Cup is now and has been for quite a while, which is largely uh, an unwelcome distraction for managers, which has the potential to create replays, which is exactly what the managers hate the most. Uh, well, he—that was at least a constructive. I know uh, the problem with Pellegrini is mostly he was just moaning, and nobody likes yeah. that. There wasn't a huge. If he'd come up with a detailed six-point plan of how to save the FA Cup yeah. as part of this protest, then you'd go, okay, fair enough. That's you put a bit of thought into this, and it's worthwhile. The only point he did make was, well, you could start with not having replays because they're completely stupid.
1: Yeah, or just what he what he really seems to be driving it is is why are we why are we having this competition? And I suppose the answer to that is um, because you know, it's it's like your job. This is what you do. And, I mean, all those people who turned up to the match are, that's the reason why you're making so much money. I mean, I suppose if you didn't want any stress in your life, you could retire or go and do something, you know, go and, go and work in some less testing environment. If you want to, you know, compete at the very top, the highest level of your profession and, you know, make the make a kind of salary that reflects that, sometimes you're actually going to have to compete. It's not always going to be exactly easy, ideal, you know, the way that you want it to be. I mean, if a, if Manuel Pellegrini wasn't leaving in the summer, you could maybe at least see it as part of some, you know, little political struggle he's having against the FA. The point being something along the lines of, why are we playing on Sunday? Well, we've got a match on Wednesday. Why can't you let us play on Saturday if we have to play a match on Wednesday? Uh, and if you you know you play ball with me and I'll play I'll play ball in your little competition, but if you're not if you're not prepared to do that then it's all
0: a little bit late though anyway isn't it? Hmm. Pellegrini doing this now?
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: I mean, I don't. If, you, know. if he was laying down some <laughs> laying down the conditions about the his future as Man City, trying to make some sort of an impact, he probably could have started before now. Not a man usually to court controversy. I mean, it's just it's
1: impossible to have any sympathy for Manchester City, who. Are the biggest spending club in the, you know, in Europe. Uh, well, you know, to say, oh, we've got too many games. I mean, what? Well,
3: what are you buying all these players for?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I really just think that he. I think it was quite transparent that he just he just ducked out of having to play a serious game against Chelsea. I remember, he lost one to them in the past, wasn't it? The, didn't he lose, or did he beat them in the FA Cup? Was it the? They. I remember they played each other a couple of times when Mourinho was the manager. At, at, at City, maybe Mourinho won the league game and lost the FA Cup game. Uh, I can't remember exactly what happened there. Oh, my memories. Let me, yeah.
0: Jonathan's point, though, that they are actually affecting themselves or damaging their own chances here, I think maybe is is probably the one to uh, take away from the conversation. But we're going to move on to talk to Miguel Delaney about what's going on in Manchester United. Miguel, which is, well, we had the Manchester Evening News reporting that Ed Woodward has been in touch with George Mendes on Friday that was after the defeat in the Europa League on Thursday night. Massimo Murat, his sister uh, met up with Jose Mourinho. He was in Milan over the weekend and apparently walked away from the conversation saying to everybody, yeah, yeah, no, he's, he's going to Manchester. That's all That's all going ahead. We have various outlets reporting that he has a gentleman's agreement to take over. Uh, is this an orchestrated campaign, do you think, over the last few days from the Mourinho camp?
4: Um, probably only to a certain extent. I mean, beyond, I think, very pointed leaks, Perhaps about how there's no deal done yet, which seems to be an intent and an intention to put pressure on United to basically get it done. And I think most of it is just um, maybe info swirling around. because from what I've heard, he basically, since the start of January, he's been pretty confident he'll have the job for summer. But it's a case, I suppose, of making sure he has that job. Um, but yeah, it does seem we're, we're lurching towards the inevitable.
1: Um, uh, do you think that he just wants the job in the summer or would he like to come in and take over now? Uh, from what
4: I've heard, he he would take it uh, as basically now. He wants to get back into work. But I think the issue from United's perspective is that Ed Woodward wants, um, I believe it's, as Red Issue actually put it in um, this series of tweets done around yesterday, Ed Woodward wants an, an honourable exit for Van Gaal. If he goes in the summer, then it reflects less badly than if he has to sack in mid-season. Although you'd wonder, could that actually be the case if they end up eighth and out of both cups? It
0: reflects less badly on Woodward or on Van Valha- Gaal? Yeah, on Woodward Wood- himself. Woodward. Okay, I was wondering. I, was, I thought he'd gone seriously um, noble in his aspirations there just to make sure not to hurt the feelings of the manager. But th- this is the theme that's emerged over the last couple of days. These, th- This power... Um, I don't know if vacuum is the right word, but certainly the very clear split now that there seems to be in, in the power struggle at old, at Old Trafford.
2: Yeah,
4: absolutely. I mean, it's been, it's been bubbling for some time, and it's you know, this, this split between the corporate side of the club and the old football guard. But in all, in all of this, you, you do wonder. I mean, I've, I've done a piece today. I think it's coming out about 11 a.m., but if you were to ask anyone at United what the long-term strategy is, in contrast, say, what City have done for the past five years, what Bayern have done in specifically to the point where they got Guardiola I mean it's and it's interesting in that regard that both city and Bayern saw Guardiola as an ideal target to bring their football onto a next level because they knew every step of what they wanted to go if you, if you were to ask united what their plan is in that regard what would they say we just w- to win the best trophies but how by by just throwing money around doesn't seem to be any sort of direction regardless of what side of the club is in charge and there's just to just see i mean i mean it 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 it. it I suppose it's one of these classic situations in politics. W- once that power goes, there's this vacuum and everyone's it's squabbling, but there's absolutely no direction about what's happening.
1: So let's let's talk then about these series of tweets that Red Issue did, Justin Miguel. Obviously, everyone is is aware of the caveats here. Red Issue saying, you know, they have they're kind of you know telling a story based on you know their sources, their information, uh, and people. I suppose will make up their own minds just how accurate. Uh, the information is, but they have got plenty of things right in the past. Um, in this, uh, in their account, uh, there seems to be rivalry between, uh, or, or essentially a split with Edward Woodward on one side and Alex Ferguson. On the other side, can you tell me what you think of Alex Ferguson's role in this? Because the, the last major event um, involving Alex Ferguson at Manchester United was him retiring nearly three years ago. Why would he still be attempting to exert uh, power and control over what goes on there these days.
4: Well, the, the major event after retiring was uh, anointing David Moyes. And from from what I've heard from people at United, basically, in, in one of these kind of typical uh, c- corporate moves, with the Glazers, basically you get one chance to make such a big decision. And then if you fail it, it your, your power is reduced. And perhaps that's another side of the whole why Ed Woodward is so fearful of potentially sacking his choice, Louis Van Gaal. Uh, well, I it's, it's. I mean, despite despite Ferguson taking a back seat, and despite how much he's talked about how he kind of wants to, you know, get get on, get on with his uh, his private life. I suppose it's it's still he sees it as a his club. It's still what he has built. So it's, it's only natural he still tries to direct it in some sense.
1: Mm. And and their account of it would be that Ferguson doesn't want Jose Mourinho to come in. Uh, and instead, would rather see the club promote Ryan Giggs. Can you talk to us first of all about why Ferguson might not want Jose Mourinho?
4: Well, from what I've heard, I mean, I suppose there are, there are a variety of issues, and, and there's always been the argument that Ferguson, possibly fearful of being upstage. Well, to be honest, I, I don't quite buy that. Uh, from what I've heard, although this, this is from someone closer to Mourinho's side, it's not quite as severe as not as not liking. I think he maybe has some, some issues with his management, but they, they are still in quite good terms. But again, yeah, I think I think it does come back to um, if if it's Mourinho in charge, and Mourinho is very much his own man, whereas Giggs is part of the, the wider the wider old United family. So, mm. so it's it, it keeps that connection going to a certain end. Whereas if it's Mourinho, it's a more clean break. But it's interesting. I mean, that you mentioned about this uh, the, the split between Ferguson and and Woodward. When we all know both have a common link, which is uh, George Mendes. Both are, are very friendly with him.
1: Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, uh, you know, Ryan Giggs, who who supposedly is is being put forward as as an alternative candidate to Mourinho, is in business with, uh, you know, his class of 92 buddies who obviously have clear links to Peter Lim, um, the owner of Valencia, who has a pretty tight relationship with George Mendes as well. So there are kind of connections all over the place. But speaking of Giggs, I see a poll in the Manchester Evening News, uh, which says, uh, would you, you know, who do you want to see as manager, Jose Mourinho or Ryan Giggs? And Mourinho's leading that at the moment, 72-28. So you can see what people think. I mean, he's he's clearly, you know, the more qualified manager. This is nonsense, though. Why is this being presented as a choice? Why does the choice for, you know, who should be the next Manchester United manager come down to Jose Mourinho or Ryan Giggs as though there weren't any other coaches in the world?
4: Yeah, I I completely agree. I mean, it's... I, I, but it's, it's evidence of how badly the club has been run in the last few years they're in the situation. And, I mean, yeah, that, that choice, obviously Mourinho's going to destroy him in that sense because, I suppose, Giggs has, to a certain degree, because he's been tainted by the connections with the last two regimes, both Van Gaal Van, Van and Moyes. He's, um, I suppose, maybe been tainted slightly by this sense of entitlement, despite the fact that he's 42 years old. When when Guardiola was 42 years old, he'd won two European Cups and four domestic titles. You know, he basically conquered the world. Um So, yeah, it it, it does. I suppose it seems they've backed themselves into a corner when really, you know, from what I've heard as well, United are now they've become a little bit spooked by the Guardiola appointment at City and they want to respond in that way. And in that sense, I suppose they're almost backed into the Mourinho corner because he's one of the few managers with the CV to, uh, to rival Guardiola. And also, he's the only manager in the world to have beaten Guardiola in both a domestic title race and the Champions League. So, from that sense, it's it's it is very seductive, but you, you do what if they do appoint Mourinho, and even if he has some success, although there, there is a wider argument of whether the last six years and if she won far fewer trophies represent a decline from his two thousand two to two thousand ten peak. Where, where could they be in three years? I mean, what 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 what's the plan? it it, do, it does feel like appointing Mourinho would just provide him the opportunity to continue continuously delay making pretty big. De- Decisions that need to be made in this club. I think this summer United need to take a proper step back, basically, and it's ironic given given the dynamic between the two clubs. Do what City did in 2008, 2009, and properly look at their entire structure. I mean, if you if you look at United, there's absolutely no football expertise with any decision-making influence between Louis Van Gaal and, or the manager position, say, and Ed Woodward. It's just this. It's, I mean, at, at City, at pretty much any 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 well-run club, there. There's a pool of expertise because everyone realizes now that the, the, the days when the manager was an authoritarian, authoritarian figure deciding all this, they, they're gone. You, you need to be much more sophisticated about it. But United completely lack that, that kind of sophistication. And they, they, rather than getting obsessed with competing with City now, they need to take a step back and think about what they can do for the future, how they can restructure. It, this, this should be a crook somewhere for the club, but not for the reasons that I think those in charge seem to think it.
0: You mentioned George Mendes earlier, Miguel, and uh, there's a piece by Ian Herbert in The Independent of the UK um, which (laughs) outlined the sort of influence that he had at at, uh, (coughs) Real Madrid, which is something that we've talked about on the podcast a good few times in the past. But also, whatever about him having players at Old Trafford, were he to bring Jose Mourinho to Ed Woodward, I don't know, maybe does George Mendes become that guy, that that guy with football intelligence (laughs) uh, as as the link between Ed Woodward and the rest of the club?
4: Well, and and there's an inherent danger I mean, obviously Mendes we've seen what's happened at Real Madrid when half of starting 11 were Mendes' clients there's already a lot of um, United decisions are almost being outsourced to Mendes, and yeah, I mean, I don't think we can question, given Mourinho's history that can create a winning team now but will it re- will it really lead to decisions for the benefit of United's long term future? Uh, particularly if it's it's in a kind of a de facto director of football role, uh, I, I, I would question that.
1: Yeah, it seems like um, the kind of, a kind of approach with caution, uh, situation yeah. from from Manchester United's point of view. But I, I'm just wondering about your own personal opinion, Miguel. Um, Jose Mourinho was a proven. Uh, Guardiola, I don't want to say Guardiola killer, he hasn't <laughs> killed Pep Guardiola, he stopped him a couple of times, uh, as he said, the only guy to do so, he would guarantee huge interest from around the world, I and mean, everyone would be following this, you know, in, in terms of soap opera, Manchester, United is the, w- Manchester, the city of Manchester would be the, you know, football soap opera capital of the world for, you know, a year or two at the very least, Um I can see some good points to this idea of appointing Jose. I mean, this is also the fact that he's, he's you know, he's, he's been a pretty good manager wherever he's gone. He's won the league title wherever he's been. Uh, if you were at Woodward, would you appoint him?
4: Um, for, for very, very short-term reasons, yes. But increasingly, I don't think United should. I think, pro- I, to be honest, I think the likely situation, particularly if it is Guardiola Mourinho, well, it, 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 it will be if they appoint him. But you can see a situation where... After three, four years, they've maybe won a title, and everyone is absolutely exhausted. And then suddenly, United have to have to kind of realise. Well, hang on, what next? While City are basically on a different universe in terms of how their their club is structured. Um, I think this is the, also. I mean, if you look at it, Mourinho is basically he's a manager. It isn't a stretch to say that he's he's a short term manager. But that's because what he does is he comes in, he imposes a very easily learnt. Uh, style of football, but one that the, because of his motivational skills brings intense application. And you can easily impose it on any squad, which means he can, he can work quite quickly with a squad. What it isn't is something that involves you know, deeper deeper integration, a, a, a type of football, a, a, to be honest, a type of more modern football that allows teams to go on to higher levels. When in the last decade of European football, we've seen this is the ideal model if you want to properly dominate. This is what Barca have done, and it's why they've completely outstripped Real Madrid. And, and I think you, you can see a very clear parallel between what's happened between Barcelona and Real Madrid and Spain and what's happening between United and City and England in terms of one, one club were always the established force. They almost got arrogant about that, thinking that their prestige and and money aff- all, will always afford them a certain position. The other, the other side got cleverer. It became more sophisticated about everything they did and and, and began to outstrip them. And so the parallel even extends to the fact that on one side you've got Florentino Perez in charge, a man that, by, by, by the accounts of many who have worked with him, doesn't properly understand football. And then the other side you've got Ed Woodward. So I I, I think that's what they've got to look at. That, that, that's, what, that, that's the type of structure they've got to aim for. But it seems no one at United is even considering this at, at the moment. And, and the danger is, City have already long considered this. They've already put the, the pieces in place to get there. So whatever happens between Mourinho and Guardiola even, it just it just delays the fact that City are light years ahead of United.
0: All right, Miguel, brilliant stuff. Thanks, Miguel. Cheers, lads. Is there any chance that this representation of Jose Mourinho as the Guardiola killer is a little bit overplayed? That he, he was the man who single-handedly brought Guardiola crashing down in Spain? I know he won one league title and generally got under the skin of Guardiola, but might that have been bound to happen anyway?
1: It might what have been bound to happen anyway?
0: Barcelona, eventually Guardiola and his intense style, particularly with his hometown club they invested so much in catching up with them, mm-hmm. uh, and him possibly needing to take a break anyway. And I know this is hypothetical, but... Is is too much credit given to Mourinho for managing Real Madrid to one league title in in the two seasons against against Guardiola? There's almost a, an idea now that Mourinho somehow dominated Guardiola in those couple of seasons.
1: Well, he was the he was the man who was left, and the other the other man had had departed the scene. Yeah, but
0: he was the man who arrived later.
1: Yeah, know? he did he did arrive later, if you arrive really late to a
0: fight, and somebody else taking <laughs> loads of punches. <laughs> it's not <laughs> quite the same.
1: No, he i he's a
0: relief hitter effectively to yeah. borrow a borrow a baseball
1: <laughs> i think he he did a lot to push Guardiola over the edge to to kill his to to kill his appetite for this Guardiola is not any good at this type of uh you know weekly daily sort of lobbing of insults confrontation He just is it really it annoys him and freaks him out he can't do it mm. um and he hasn't really had to do that in Germany at all It's been a kind of nice easy ride for him over there. By comparison, everyone was very respectful of him there. Like Mourinho wasn't at all. I mean, he said to the players, "You know, you're the bad guys here. Remember, we are the bad guys in this movie. Okay, you know, forget about all this. The sportsmanship, gentlemanliness. Oh, I'm friends with Javi on the national team. You're not friends with Javi anymore. You know what I mean? We. I want you to believe in." The possibility of your own worst selves, and then go out there and be that monster. That was <laughs> well, that was his
3: that, that whole uh, theory. It makes a lot more sense than the idea that uh, a Manchester United under Jose Mourinho will win the league next year. I mean, yeah. it's much easier to construct the argument that Jose Mourinho will annoy Pep Guardiola to such an extent that he will. I mean, the 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 response since Guardiola has been announced as Man City manager is, "Isn't this marvelous?" for English football. This is amazing. You know, real world class here on our doorstep. You know, we're going to roll out the red carpet. We're going to make him feel as welcome as we possibly can. And that's obviously awful for everyone except for Manchester City. I mean, Guardiola might even stay longer than three years if everyone's really nice to him. I mean, with Mourinho there, at least he'll be annoyed a lot of the time.
1: A lot. I mean, and, and this time in the same city. I mean, not even, you know, yeah. across, the, across the country. This is literally I, I 10 miles down yeah. the road.
3: I don't know why that should make a difference. I mean, I, it, unless they're meeting, they're, they live in the same housing estate or something. Yeah. But I just, I think it must make a difference. It has to make a difference.
1: There, there, I just do want to point out also, I mean, we, we were talking to Miguel there and he made the point about Manchester City. He, he drew, a, he made an analogy between the Spanish, the two clubs in Spain and the two clubs yes, in Manchester, um, and how United were maybe a bit more like Real Madrid and, and City were the smarter Barcelona, it does, it should be pointed out that Manchester City's smarts are underpinned by, you know, about a billion pounds worth of petrol dollars, you know what I mean, there's been a lot of money spent there, it hasn't all been, you know, intelligent. you know, it's sort of forward-thinking planning, uh, the reason Guardiola is there is because they're really rich. They've been spending all this money. They've they've got a lot of money to spend on players. They've got a lot of money to pay people like Guardiola.
0: What about United's complacency, though, which is, is what uh, Miguel was using to compare them to Real Madrid, that the, maybe there was a feeling in the early days of the big money at Man City that, well, it's still Man City. Yeah. They'll find a way. Of the street. Or, or insofar as Manchester United t- thought much about Manchester City until the last couple of years.
1: Yeah. Well, I think the the problem is obviously the, F- the Ferguson absence. I mean, the, the thing is that the Glazers took over in two thousand and five. Um, they got used to owning a club. They're the, you know sitting in Florida owning this club, which was being run by Alex Ferguson and David Gill, and they suddenly left together. You know, at the same moment, and suddenly the Glazers, after eight years, eight. Easy years of not having to worry about it. Like, this isn't as difficult as everybody said it was going to be. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, we're left with a situation where it was okay. What do we? What do we do now? The, the entire club just walked out the door. Does this? You know, the, now there's a, a vacuum. Who's in charge? Ed Woodward. Does does he know what he wants? Alex Ferguson. He's still trying to stick his oar in. You know, there's, there's all kinds of sort of people circling around. All this money in the middle as well, by the way. All this money, which is attracting people from, from everywhere. Oh, you know, there's, there's a bit of money to be made here. Um, Manchester United are going to need some players, but which players are they going to buy? Who's going to get the, uh, who's going to get the little percentages and the tastes, you know? This, is, this has created a, uh, a messy situation.
0: All right, just before we go, Murph, if you just log on to secondcaptains.com there. I'm on it already. What I want you to do, well, yeah, as always. Yeah, just <laughs> keep an is eye. Just click at the top there, you see Second Captain Sports Annual Volume 1. Of course. All right? You'll see the very reasonable fifty ninety nine price. Uh, it's a snip um, what about the postage and packaging at the moment how much is that uh, while I process oh it, it's absolutely nothing but uh, oh, no, I, I don't know what we're doing here what, what the hell is going on who, who cleared this sure but you're you, you know you've got a URL there in, in Dublin in Ireland so yeah. obviously that, that's, that's fair enough but what about if you were <laughs> elsewhere in the world I need <laughs> to transport myself yeah.
3: uh, to somewhere let's say Dubai yeah, and, you know, yeah. Uh, not a problem uh, absolutely free postage and packaging until Friday, the twenty sixth of February. Friday, 26th, yeah.
0: Worldwide, so get on that if you get a chance today or at any stage during the week. Just do it right now, actually. Yeah, I'll, I'll stick to what I what I went with last, late last week. The aggressive, uh, mm. the aggressive sort of salesmanship. Uh, in the meantime, we're going to go and record another podcast for you later in the week. By the way, I don't know what's going to be happening with Van Hal at that stage, but we are going to be speaking to Patrick Clivert. Uh, later this week that will be available for you in a few days time we're going to talk big long interview with Patrick Clyburn about his own incredible career but a lot of that career both in terms of playing and coaching now has been intertwined with that of Louis van Gaal he probably knows him better professionally than just about I would say anyone else in world football so it'll be a nice angle to that chat couldn't be more timely thanks very much Ken thank you too looking thank- forward to your epic Cup goals coming back in uh, the sixth round thanks Kieran thank you Ken thank you on. Thank Owen thanks for listening bye bye
2: That's the second time he's gone off. They never go on. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home,